Welcome to Mihinte on Air on 100.5 and 790 News Radio WSGW and online WSGW.com. Now, here is your host, Larry Rodarte. Good evening. Good evening, Mihinte, and thank you for being with us today on Mihinte on Air. Despite all that we are going through from uh, March of 2020 when the pandemic uh, came into our lives, we are living in exciting historical times. I mean, yes, there is the sadness, of course, of the 400,000 Americans that have died to COVID. We can't forget that. And yet uh, we are living in times of racial tensions emboldened by a leader with a loud voice and 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 you know we had this unforgettable election yet today i feel that we are living in some really exciting journalistic times if you're a journalist it's there's no better time because it's on a, a daily basis that you're infiltrated on your phones with all kinds of information and like today, uh, this being um, said, I wanted to invite somebody who I have admired for many years in the journalistic field, and um, she's been a longtime journalist in our Great Lakes Bay region, co-founder of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists in Washington, D.C., and she's been a broadcaster on WNEM TV5, as well as been very instrumental at Delta College and MSU in journalism. And has also helped me a lot and has been very influential with Mi Gente magazine when we started in 1995. So I want to introduce everyone. She is the one, the only, the incomparable Miss Rosa Morales. Hello, Rosa. Hola. Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning in case (laughs) we want to keep the, the next day. The news happens. 24-7, 24-7, you just can't say, well, that's it, lock up your, you know, office and go home. It's uh, the computers with you, the laptop, the iPad, the cell phone, you're available yeah. for a story. The, the key thing, as you well know, it's a challenging time to be a good journalist. And, uh, you know, if you wonder why I'm not writing a lot, it's because before I, I issue anything, I want to make sure it's as close to perfect, as correct as it can be. And those things sometimes take time. Yeah, it's been, it's been uh, difficult. This, it's been difficult to yeah. make sure that everything is correct and that you're not going to um, offend anybody. I mean, you, you, we really have to watch no, that well, and be biased. But you will. Yeah. No, Larry, we will offend. I mean, journalists are not in it to be uh, nice puppies. True. But <laughs> if we make an error, that's error of fact, error of age, uh, because that tells someone, the critic, well, if you make simple mistakes on my address, on my age, on you you misspelled my name, what else could you have gotten wrong? And that will haunt me if if that should happen to me, because you don't want to have your audience lose faith in you the reporter, the editor, uh, the videographer, etc. Rosa, tell me, you have been at this for a long time. And today, in 2021, did you ever think that we as a nation, as a, as a, well, as, as a, as a country and, and as internationally, that we would be experiencing what we are 
journalistically? No, because no one really, uh, besides Facebook, you know, when that came out, uh, the idea of the individual journalists or the anyone could, you know, put up a shingle, meaning you could do a podcast and uh, sell your wares as news. No, we, we didn't have the digital part of it. Sure, there were magazines, there were newspapers that took on all kinds of slants and opinions. Uh, we've had yellow journalism in our early history in this country. Uh, but no, when I was coming up, I uh, didn't think it would come to this where the uh, journalists, which in all the different annual polls, journalists have been sometimes ranked a little bit above used car salesmen. That's an old one, okay? Uh, I believe that because of the way the role of the journalist has been portrayed in certain political circles where the journalist, the reporter, the news media, traditional news media, has been called an enemy of the people. Yeah. And and, and the, the, the slippery slope, you know, has brought us to where we are now. Yes, yes, it is. And, and I, for one, was quite offended when I heard some of those comments. But, you know, Rosa, last year, 2020, there was so much going on on our, you know, that we were notifications on our cell phones and on the news. I, I stopped watching um, television uh, because I was so in tune with my phone and, and the, the notifications from that. But I want to know from your perspective, uh, because I know what happened with me last year, with everything that was going on, it was just too much. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't. I sat down to write a story for Mi Gente magazine, and I, I couldn't concentrate. My you know I felt like the voice in my head was just about to explode at times, and so it was very difficult for me as a journalist of some, uh, especially a journalist of color, um, when we were being attacked so much. And I, and I say that in regards to the racial tensions as well as the right wing in terms of the, the election and uh, being a liberal myself, and I do consider that myself a liberal now. I always wasn't, but I am today. Tell me from your perspective, how did you get through 2020? I did. I, I went through a lot of the emotions that you're describing. Yes. And they may or may not be emotions. They're just states of mind, you know, states of being. Because let's face it, we what we have is our consciousness, right? Right. That's what allows us to be who we are. And right now it's very much, you know, we are who we are. We're being. Uh, and And when we lose a lot of our structural environmental, day-to-day uh, -day, um, existence, practices, were thrown into the unknown, the abyss. And the human person has to adapt, mm -hmm. just like our ancient uh, prehistoric ancestors had to adapt. So I think that's a normal reaction. And yes, I went through it all. Uh, I lived with my iPhone and my iPad on, you know, mm -hmm. and um, of course, my computer. I didn't watch television because I had the access on my iPad and my right. iPhone. So at least 
I, I did not use uh, the television. I am using it now because we're doing uh, more directional work with our uh, Facebook uh, presentations and podcasts. Our so Zoom it's calls. essential now. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, but, it, it's funny, though, Rosa, because here, you know, we're talking about this right now in, in regard to journalism, and that's not where we uh-huh. were going with this program today, but I think it's really important to bring oh. this up. You know, I, like I said, I, I my mind was just going crazy during those times, you know, and I actually got help. And, and you know what I mean mm-hmm. by that is yeah. mental help. And it's it's uh, the services by the Saginaw County Mental Health, you know, the stigma that goes with that sometimes, it, it, you know, people don't want to admit that they need help or that they are getting help. But I think it's really important in our conversations today where I've seen so many people that I feel need help, one, but also that they're not willing to actually step out and say that they've gotten help. I've gotten help, and I'll say that, and, I'm, and I don't have any problem mm-hmm. saying it because I'm telling you, you know, I, I was going through a lot of things last year with my, the, with my father's health and everything else, but it was the craziness of our time that was making me a little bit off balance. And so, you know, I, I did uh, seek help, like I said, and I, I do think that more people have to uh, come out of you know, not trying to hide any problems that they're having mentally because we are living in a yeah. really tough time, even though it's historically well, I exciting, you right? For, for, for getting help. And yeah, I remember your dad dying and I, I know my condolences, uh, you know, went out to you. My whole family felt bad. Um, and uh, I got help. I, I was in therapy for five years. Uh, before COVID, <laughs> how about that? How about that? And, yeah, <laughs> and and uh, only because four years of uh, a Republican administration, uh, you know, I needed help in in just navigating the future. You know, if we are Mexicans who rape and kill, I mean that famous escalator yeah. speech yeah. that I remember after. Uh, the former president walked down the escalator. I just thought, how can we continue to take this? You know, that's yeah. me. He's attacking that. I am being attacked anyway. Uh, so therapy does help. It gives you a coping mechanism. When when we are raised, sometimes we're not raised with uh, the ability to cope for ourselves when we're in a jam or uh, a mental uh, stress or crisis. And what I learned, my uh, task was to develop my own coping mechanisms, whether it be stepping away, taking three deep breaths to begin with and exhaling it slowly, meditating, prayer, mindful prayer, prayer yes. talking to someone. Uh, and, and with prayer, we have to be quiet for the answer. And, and, you know, you know what I'm I'm, we talk we talk to God with our prayer but do we ever listen? Yeah. And <laughs> I, I'm so glad you you mentioned that though because I feel that prayer is really what got me through 2020. And not only my prayers but my family's prayers, my family coming together praying the rosary, you know, as we do as cousins, uh, loving uh loving our, our elders and you know, we were losing my father and yet uh 
putting them in the hands of God and, and putting that trust and asking for the intercession of Our Lady of Guadalupe. I mean, it, it just was a it was a beautiful time for our family, despite the idea that we were losing our, our patriarch, you know. But um, and we're losing generations of institutional history and culture. Yes, yes, and and so many so many have succumb to this uh, COVID-19 in our community, and, and we're getting hit hard as Latinos. And, and, that, and that's kind of what we wanted to focus a little bit on this show today. So I'm going to segue kind of into that, you know, where Latinos mm-hmm. are 18% of the U.S. population now, yet we make up about 30% of essential workers. You know, what does that mean, you know, when we have Latinos who are grocery clerks, bus drivers, farm workers, uh, cooks at restaurants, you know, that means that we are going to be exposed. And disproportionately, we have been exposed to the COVID-19 virus. So locally, what we have done is worked with the Saginaw County Health Department. And when I say we, I'm talking about the Hispanic Latino Regional COVID Task Force, which incorporated leaders from the different leading Hispanic organizations, such as the Office of Hispanic Ministries, the Mexican-American Council, the American GI Forum, Union Civica Mexicana, the Great Lakes Bay Hispanic Leadership Institute, as well as LEAD. Um, so, and Mac, did and, you mention yep, Mac? Yep, I mentioned Mac. I mentioned Mac. Okay. And, um, you know, and, and I have really felt that in working together, you know, sometimes we have differences with our organizations or individuals or whatever, but this was a time where we had to come together as leaders in our community to make sure that our people were at the table and that they were going to be, there was going to be an awareness, a greater awareness that, you know, hey, we need to be listened to too and we cannot be forgotten as a community. So I was so happy to be a part of that. Can you tell me a little bit about what you did this week in regard to this, uh, the Spanish message that was put out by the Hispanic Task Force? The same task force uh, that has come together in Saginaw County uh, has done two uh, presentations, one of which you were the moderator, uh, and that was on Monday, right? Uh, yeah. February uh, the 7th or something. I'm looking 8th. And we did another one on Tuesday the 16th, with Felipe Lopez Straita, who is the executive director of the Hispanic Latino Commission of Michigan. We also had two representatives from uh, Great Lakes Bay Health uh, Community Center, uh, Amanda Byler, who is the program, the medical program director for the migrant program there, and Jose Castilla, who is the program manager of migrant programs, same health center. Of course, we also had Vibrado uh, Gaitón, who works for the Saginaw Catholic Archdiocese, Saginaw County. He's an attorney. And am I missing anyone? I think that was it, Felipe. And here, here's what Felipe said, that we are noticing, and maybe even people in Lansing are noticing that we finally have Latinos in different positions, whether local, state, government, or business, or any of the regional kind of entities. I'm thinking of Detroit, mm-hmm. you know, the all, all the entities that are functioning there, trying to help the people during COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And Felipe Cerrosa, we're all connected. What I am finding out, and others are saying this, 
And he said this in Spanish during the uh, one-hour, well, 40-minute presentation we did on uh, Zoom, and now it's on YouTube, on uh, COVID-19 and the Hispanic community. It was all in Spanish. Finally, he, Felipe said, we, we're finding that we do have power, Rosa. Now that we have reached a point where those of us are in positions, we've gone to school, we've gone, done all the must-have, must-do requirements to get into these positions. We've run for office. We've been elected. We're in, in, uh, in positions of agency of change. We can help change for the better those yes. things that need help. He said, Rosa, we do have the, together. Grand Rapids, Lansing, Detroit, Saginaw, Bay City, uh, the UP. If if uh, we really look globally and locally, Latinos in Michigan do have the beginnings of this. I'll call it power, but it's really agency. Agency is a kind of a you know social political word if you're in academia. But it means that you have the wherewithal, the knowledge, the ability, and las ganas, I guess, the, the guts to go for it, to try and change your world, your community. And, and when I say change, I mean improve, obviously. Yes, yes. Uh, and that's difficult right now in spite of what we're doing. But you know what? In spite of what's going on, we can only forge forward. I think all of this is is got opportunities galore for everyone if we uh, invest in our future. Yes, and, and you, that future may not be for me. It's going to be for our children. Well, you know, you talk when you talk about children, we talk about the younger generation. I have seen where I feel so optimistic because I see younger uh, individuals who are stepping up to the plate. They're not accepting what has been the norm in our country for years in regard to people of color. And they were out there in the Black Lives Mar- uh, marches uh, this summer with me. And it just it just really warmed my heart because I knew that this country was moving and marching towards a, a change, a change, you know, that I think is inevitable and is uh, very important because here here we are and I'm talking from experience here in the Great Lakes Bay region, um, we've got, uh, like this show, Mi Gente on Air, as well as uh, uh, United Shades of Grey um, that is airing on Sundays on WSGW. We have uh, Bob Johnson, who is the reporter at M Live, who is starting a podcast, mm-hmm. 420, uh, or no, not 420, excuse me, 2042. I know there's people mm-hmm. going to be laughing at that when I said 420, but it's actually 2042 when minorities are to become the dominant uh, race in regards to the population in this country. And and so in 2042, they're talking about what uh, you know life is going to be at that juncture when we reach that, when, when minorities, people of color, are going to be the majority. And so... M Live's doing it. WSGW's doing mm-hmm. it. There's there's something happening in an awakening where there's a need for an awareness to bring people of color, people of color and their voices to the table. And so I think that's what I've seen as really um, optimistically 
something I've seen with the younger generation. And I, and I don't even include myself in that anymore. You know, I, I'm older mm-hmm. now and I have seen a lot in the last, uh, you know, 25 years of, of doing a publication like me, Hente. You know, you have to, you know, be educated and you have to be, you know, have an awareness of what's going around in your community when you're involved in journalism, mm-hmm. for one. Well, and- you mentioned me, Hente Magazine, and I have to bring that up because, it was ahead of its time, or maybe it was perfect for its time because of the nature of how it came into being. Uh, and I know you've told that story to your listeners, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, how Selena was on the cover of People magazine, and you couldn't get people in Espanol, right? Uh, a magazine, and uh, this was Selena when she was killed in Texas in uh, 1995. And you wanted that mag to be distributed in our area, the People in Magazine, right? No, actually, and you know what? Let me let or, me correct you right there. It? it was People Magazine, like you said, and they were reporting on the death of Selena in Texas. Right. And the magazines that they distributed in Texas had her on the cover. We in the North, in the Midwest, got the Friends cast on the cover. And I was really upset just at that because... It's like they felt that in the Midwest, we Selena had no fans, which we know was untrue. But then they went on and they uh, printed a commemorative issue on Selena, and it sold like hotcakes. And they realized then the impact of the Hispanic power in the nation. And so that's, mm-hmm. you know, with, with when I couldn't get that uh, edition here in Saginaw or in Detroit at the time where I was living— I was mad and upset, and that's kind of what prompted me, along with the misinformation surrounding her death in the secular media, that's what prompted me to start Mi Gente. And, uh, you know, we, we, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We're going to go on break uh, mm-hmm. you know, real quick, but I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it's important that we look at the tra- trajectory of Mi Gente 25 years ago and where we are today in 2021 and the arm of WSGW's Mi Gente on Air and what that actually means for our community. So stay with us. I'm with Rosa Morales, the incomparable Rosa Morales, and we'll be back. This is Mi Gente on Air on WSGW. You're listening to Be Hinte on Air on WSGW. Welcome back. Welcome back, Mi Hinte. Thank you for being with us tonight. I have Miss Rosa Morales, a longtime journalist in the Great Lakes Bay region and somebody who has been very influential on, in my life as well as uh, in com- uh, many others throughout uh, the journalistic world. And we're talking a little bit about uh, the beginnings of Mi Gente. And sometimes we talk about that on our show. Maybe some feel too frequently, but um, it's important uh, to understand where we are today in 2020 with the arm of Mi Gente on air and what that means for our community. Rosa, what can you remember about that time when we started Mi Gente uh, 25 years ago? Because you were such a big part of that as well. Well, yeah, I remember, you know... uh, there was a great feeling of ex- 
exhilaration and possibility. And that's what I want us to hold on to, even as jaded as some of us may become, uh, because we have to mentor the next generation of journalists and editors and even owners of uh, media mm-hmm. organizations or, or insta- you know, outlets. Uh, we don't own very many uh, TV stations. That's a whole other discussion. Uh, there is black ownership of radio, limited ownership of uh, by Latinos, et cetera. But the whole media landscape has changed. You don't need media ownership to influence the public. You're doing it with your show right now on radio, but you could do it if, if you had a, another thing on Facebook mm-hmm. or, a, you know, your own podcast, what have you. What I see happening is, the field has exploded. There are so many possibilities. And when we were just starting out, we were limited to to the print, print and photojournalism. But the fact that we were documenting and chronicling the lives of Latinos in the mid-Michigan area or in the state was what was miraculous, remarkable, and has to continue. Because as you know, the first, what, line of history is written in newspapers, you know, and if we're not in it, then we won't be in the books and the uh, scholarly research things, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that, that may be an oversimplification and an overstatement. But when Latinos or African Americans or Asian Americans, indigenous peoples, um, Arab Americans also document their lives in this country. That information is is culturally valuable. It's historically valuable. The newspapers in Southeast uh, Michigan that publish in their own language, whether it's Chinese uh, or any other language, that's important because that is what a free press should be. You know, yes, yes. we have that freedom. You don't have to be a millionaire. Uh, and you don't even have to own a printing press now. You could do it digitally. <laughs> so we didn't have that. But you know what we had? Again, that exhilaration and the promise of what we could do to inform our community to reach out. And not only our community, since we were printing in uh, English, to inform the non-Hispanic community, which is also our obligation. Yes, It doesn't yes. do us any good to talk to each other. Right, and I think that's a very Only. valid, <laughs> important point. And I, and I think that, you know, even I say this all the time, that even though this program is geared and talking about Hispanics' culture and, and concerns um, and our contributions— it's bringing that awareness to the non-Hispanic audience to learn more, especially, you know, when we talk about uh, issues affecting us or when we talk about uh, tamales or, you know, pozole, menudo, uh, patitos. When we talk about that, I mean, it brings them a different flair within their lives so that they can understand and um you know, understand who we are as a people that we're here. You know, you mentioned that we are here. Mm -hmm. And I think Felipe did a great job when he talked about bringing that awareness and power 
that he talked about. That's uh, right. And, and, you know, again, I'm quoting the executive director of the Hispanic Latino Commission of Michigan, Felipe Lopez-Sustaita, who has a marvelous history of his own, but uh, he struggled. He has struggled in his youth, you know, but he got his degree. He got, I think, three degrees. I think he got a Ph.D., uh, this man, you know, knows what has value. Education has value. Serving his community has value. And he says we have to look at ourselves differently today. And what did he mean? He says, Rosa, we're, we're on the inside. We're not on the outside. We're here. We are here. Yes, yes. And, and, and with, and you I- know, that, that, that to me means... We have responsibilities then, not only to, to be a good, you know, uh, person, uh, pay your taxes, all that stuff, but to help our greater community uh, of any color, because, you know, that's where it's at. Mm-hmm. Uh, it- Jesus Christ didn't just say, well, only look out for your own brothers and sisters. No, right. he, it's humanity. And, and Rosa, I want to bring up this point, because you have lived— long enough to see where you possibly were on the outside. And what I'm referring to is talking about MSU days when the Chicano movement really moved uh, because of what was going on uh, at MSU in the 19, late 1960s. And so let's compare that to today. Let's compare that today where Felipe is saying we are now on the inside, but did you feel that way about, that time period that Latinos were on the outside? We were on the outside. Come on. At that time, uh, Dan Sosa third was a student. Uh, once we were on campus and, and we saw, well, uh, there's a brown face, there's a brown face, you know, and then I would hear Spanish being spoken. I would follow that Spanish. And more times it was, they had a, a larger student enrollment of international students at Michigan State from Latin America than they had of U.S. born <laughs> Hispanics. Yeah, it, it's, like me or it's... or Dan or others. That so we were about ten, ten. Wow. Uh, at MSU at the time, and of course we we pressured. There were recruitment programs and all of that. I worked with the provost on a special recruitment effort to bring in families and their student children to the campus for a tour, a lunch, and a meeting, and uh, a recruitment kind of event. And for me to, this, I can't believe this happened. I had to get permission from my mother to do this. I was already a student at MSU, eh? <laughs> and uh, the the vice provost, he died, uh, and I can't re- remember his name, but he went to Saginaw, had lunch with my mom and my sisters, and described what he wanted me to do, asking ask my mother for permission. Wow, isn't that? And I so- remember the lunch that was served. We said, "Well, let's let we got to feed him something that uh, is not well. Let's feed him." A salad. We can't go wrong with a tuna, a cold tuna salad with, you know, all the trimming. It, we, we didn't want, we should have fed him Mexican food, right? Because he probably would have loved it. 
but we were also trying to be, you know, a little bit uh, uh, more Americanized with the lunch meal. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! But Maybe that, assimilated. That, that story. <laughs> well, you know, Rosa, yeah, that that was the late but, '60s, right? Well, by the time yes, I came in uh, to MSU in mid 1980s, there were 48 uh, Hispanic Latino uh, students on a campus of 48,000. Can you believe that? In, mm. in, in, yeah. I look back now, and I understand so much more now, but it, it was difficult. It, it was difficult coming from Bridgeport High School where uh, we were more. there were more Hispanics, say, like in those years compared to your years, but it was difficult to actually be accepted by the non-Hispanic uh, population there, and you know, you just mm-hmm. have to you just have to go with the flow, and, and it was great times. I'm yeah. not, I'm not putting yeah. down MSU by any means. I love I love the school. Oh, yeah, yeah, and the yeah. life, and it was no, some of the I greatest times. No, I love the school too. Mm-hmm. I even uh, tried out for. I went to one of those open houses for the sororities. Mm-hmm. I because I had belonged to a service sorority over here at Delta College, which is different, you know. Well, I went to one, and the the this is kind of meaningful, okay? But it didn't traumatize me at all. Uh, the one open house, this young lady uh, saw my name tag, and she said, Rosa Morales, is that Spanish? I says, no, I'm Mexican. And she said, oh, Mexican, how exciting having a wetback in sorority. Whoa, really? And <laughs> I was stunned. I was stunned. I didn't react. I mean, now I would have words, right? I walked out. I And, you know, I never looked back. I got involved with the Chicano movement already. I was, you know, part of what we were trying to do at MSU. But I wanted to see what, you know, the house looked like. The, those houses looked so pretty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, your, your, your efforts with the Chicano movement uh, definitely paid off because I was part of a product of that. And, yeah. And with Arminio Ortega. people... Yeah, all those people you, you, you met helped formed us, you know. Mm-hmm. We are part of our own community, uh, and we carry with, within us uh, Carlota, Raquel Ontiveros, La Doctora Raquel Ontiveros. Uh, we've lost a lot of people, yeah. you know, Nuestra sadly. Tierra. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, you know, I want to talk a little bit now today as we, we're, we're coming to the final uh, minutes of our program of what's going on in Texas, because this is affecting us Michiganders as well, because we have so much family and friends down there. And I don't know if uh, if you've noticed, I'm, I'm sure you have, because this is the talk about Texas right now. It's the worst of winners for Texans, uh, Austin, San Antonio, uh, Dallas, because of powder, power outages in the last a few days where ice is accumulating to almost an inch in some places. Luckily today they are getting a 40 degree weather finally, but yet another storm's coming another ice storm. And um, it's, it's devastating to these Texans who have no idea what to do in terms of uh, freezing rain on the roads. We've seen that from the footage. That's right. And, and, and the infrastructure, yes. have you talked about the infrastructure, the grid, the grid, Their grid is, is, Oh my God! It's seen its last days. I don't know if their system is is a privately, uh, you know, it's the only one within Texas. Yes, and, and, and take any of the other, uh, what 
state 48 47 states yeah and i i have never personally have heard that there is snow in uvalde texas where my father was from never in my lifetime and yet they have it in uh 21 are dead from the effects of the storm. Yeah, that 3 Texas. million without yes. power. And in Bear County, um, I have a cousin, Connie Medell. Uh, she's the administrative service coordinator in Bear County in the Economic Development Department. And I just want to read a few words of what she has said, uh, because she was born and raised here in Michigan, of course, and then moved down to Texas. But um, she says, my time since Friday has been spent on emergency management for the county. We've been trying to secure rooms, um, senior centers, finding them food. Um, businesses are affected. It's horrible. One of my many coworkers has chickens and has donated seven dozen to one of our units. <laughs> and, and we're trying, mm. and she says, we're trying not to leave mm-hmm. our elderly, medically necessary, and homeless without resources. It's difficult because roads have been shut down. And yesterday, uh, we had a limited window to get out and find food and gas. But today is the same. Everything is melting, but we're for sure getting ready for the next ice storm now. And, um, you know, she talks about how she has had to uh, educate people on how to keep their pipes from freezing. And that's happening all over Texas. And to fill, you know, water in large containers to prepare them. I I mean, these are people who have been through um, hurricanes you know but Mm -hmm. as we know as michiganders know ice and snow is a whole different ballpark so most people she says don't know these things and the power grids are rotating uh not giving people time to heat homes or charge phones and and people are in line for food whether it's a supermarket i'm looking at the lines on tv people you know have to get groceries and yes, we should be worried about the seniors because the cold temperatures are the worst for a senior yeah. if if they are not, you know, protected. Yeah, and so I, I have been... And of course for children too, I mean anybody. But I, I think first, you know, which ones would I worry about first? Well, babies and seniors, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I've also been in contact with... Maximo Anguiano, also uh, from Michigan, from Lansing area, and he's down there. He says it's really bad. Mm -hmm. He says that, um, you know, without power, it's devastating, and it's been going on since Monday. And um, today, as we are uh, um, taping this show, it's Wednesday. Um, He himself, he has Mm -hmm. said he doesn't have electricity at his place, um, but he's um, finding in a bed-and-breakfast hotel. That's where he's hunkering down to keep warm. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. So um, hopefully they're going to restore the power. Um, and if we don't get the power no back, man. yeah, he yeah. says that um, we're going to have to move uh, to find some uh, better location to help to hunker down. And so there, he says there's right. no salt, I, I, no salt on the roads. No, Can you believe that? So oh, they don't. Yeah. Not only that, the roads may have a different construction foundation that, you know, salt, who knows? Yeah. Every state is different, you know. But a friend of mine who uh, is a reporter lives in Austin, same situation. Her husband did order um, a uh, generator. They, they, when I last spoke with her, they, it couldn't be delivered because, again, the roads, no deliveries. It's impassable. And I don't know if she's got uh, power or not because – uh, without that, she can't work on her computer. She's on deadline. 
she's got to do her stories and you've got to, you know, email them. And if you don't have, maybe her iPhone, if, she, if her iPhone is working, you know, you think of all these things that uh, uh, people in the state of Texas on top of the pandemic, yes. on top of all the people that, you know, they have lost. And, and, uh, we'll and see. Did you catch that? Um the the pile up on Dallas Fort Worth highways where mm-hmm. oh my god that that's that's my greatest fear on the roads during wintertime is that I'm going to get caught in a situation like that where trucks are just you know plowing into vehicles in front of them un, un, you know unable to stop at such high yeah. high speeds yeah a lot of people yeah i think there was nine gotta, that died we, in that in that uh it was over 100 yeah, cars the, so. the you know what i hate the the whiteouts where you can't even are you on the road? <laughs> are yeah, you, yeah. you going to hit a semi right in front of you? The White House are terrible. But, you know, back to our current times, and I think you you did want to talk about being a journalist and all that, and mm-hmm. and, and I don't know where you want to end it on uh, because it's all unknown, you know. Uh, I know I have a favorite saying that I want to live long enough to see how it all turned out. and that that's kind of like well how long is that going to be i don't know you know but i i mean we all have that survival mechanism you know like and we all think oh um, yeah i'm going to be around when it's all over we don't know that i haven't had my vaccine yet you know so i've been i'm waiting i you know i'll get it i'm sure i'll get it um, but those kind of things, you know, it depends on how we live our life right yes, now. Yes, and and tomorrow, I'm I'm so thankful that I am taking my 89 year old aunt and her daughter, uh, Della Chentaka and Eleanor uh, Casares Legado, um, to get their shot. And I'm I'm just so happy that finally, at 89, you know, she should have. I feel she should have been more uh, upfront. You know, yeah, one of the first, should've. one of the first to get the shot, and and you know, for whatever reason, um, it, it didn't happen. But at least now, you know, mid February, they're they're going to get their shot tomorrow's law as well as my well, brother. And I've had to be the person, you know, like in my brother's case, to um, register him to make sure I got the notice when um, it came through that he wasn't he was in line to get the shot on February eighteenth. You know, so I want to encourage um, other listeners out there, you know. Uh, Take a look at your elderly, uh, and I'm talking about those 65 and older, who may not be savvy to uh, uh, the, the Internet today or may not have the gumption to actually pick up a phone and call the Saginaw Health Department. You've got to be that person to look out for them. You've got to make those moves, uh, not only for yourself, but for uh, your elderly. It's so important because this is something new. This whole vaccine uh, distribution is something new throughout our state, throughout our nation. And so nobody nobody is familiar with it, and we have to take it upon ourselves to make sure that we go through the hoops in order to get, you know, that vaccine. And I think it's important and, for everybody to get it. And, and I'm glad you're mentioning what you're saying to everyone because there are seniors who may have someone in their home who helps them with things, right? Mm-hmm. And it is that person who I would say, please, if your elderly relative or person has not yet had a vaccine, call the Saginaw County phone number uh, that I think uh, we all have. It's uh, 
877-697-6880. I talked with them today, and they said, Rosa, if there are either Spanish-speaking seniors or any senior who needs to be vaccinated, their caregiver or relative can register them, and we can have a phone conversation with that person who's going to do the registering. The senior can be there so that we can get the correct birth date or age, and then we over here at the county can make sure that person is registered. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. And they they may not have Spanish fluent people, but if the senior has someone who speaks English, that that could be the um, the trick. That yeah. could do it if yeah. they call in for that senior. Yeah, and it's it's so important. It's it's important. We as a community have been hit hard. We've, we've lost a number of different members. Um, and I think overall Saginaw has done very well, you know, the, Saginaw, um, the Saginaw Health Department, in, in trying to get out that information. Yes, but also the they, willingness. They are very amenable. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, willingness of the, of and... the willingness of them trying to work with the Hispanic COVID Task Force. You know, they've been real good. Uh, we've had our discussions on Zoom. And we have to work together. It's about working together for the betterment of our community, especially for the most vulnerable. And so kudos to the yeah. Saginaw Health Departments, kudos to the, the, the Hispanic Task Force, and all that are trying to get through this so that we can see a better day in 2021. And hopefully, Rosa, as you know, I love to travel. Hopefully I'll get to travel to Europe again this yeah. summer. And, and, yeah. that, and that's what I'm trying to, to you know, <laughs> uh, hope for in, in, in the coming months. But um, I, I just feel that it's really important that we somehow take the positive outlook on all of this because yes, if we yes. continue to be negative or if we continue to um, be divided as a people, um, Republican, Democrat, whatever, what good is that going to service us now? You know, we have to start no. moving forward. Well, I, I keep saying we are the United States of America and, and within our state we also can strive to come together in those common areas where we can get a grip and work together and can look back and say, we did that. We did that. Yes. You know, and, and uh, we weren't all of uh, one party either, political party or what have you. It can be done. Yes. Yeah, so in the midst of all of this, the pandemic, the racial tensions, and, and the crazy election year. We're now under a new administration, and now we are in the, 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 the battle of you know making sure that we beat this COVID-19 virus with these vaccines. I just want to uh, give people po- power to the people, right? <laughs> As yes. they said in the 60s and the late 60s. I want to give them 60s. a pat on the back. You know, uh, kudos to all of those who are doing what you can do to keep your family safe and alive. Yes. Now let's work on keeping our community safe and alive. Good, good and ending, Mary, Rosa. You're doing a great job. Thank you so uh, much for being with me today. I just want to say to my uh, listening audience, stay well, get help if you need help, 
and move forward. Adelante. Thank you so much. Adelante. See you next week. Bye-bye.